When we first moved here, we bumped into lots of couples that had come to Spain to chase their dream on whatever they thought was going to work. But the most important thing for me to make something like this work is that you both want it. So if it's if it was just mm. my dream and it got suddenly hard, then Claire might be more, or your partner might be more leaning towards, but well, it didn't work, let's go back. Yeah. Um, but because we both really wanted this, that was never an option. It was like, we just got to dig in a bit deeper and find a way to make it work. That was Ashley Higgins from the Andalusian Cycling Experience. As part of the show, Ashley's kindly given my listeners a special offer to book a cycling experience with them. Details will be given out at the end of the show. Welcome to the next episode of the Travelling Optimist podcast with Steve Odie. Hola, everyone, and welcome to the Travelling Optimist podcast with me, Steve Odie. In this week's show, we're heading down to the Andalusian hills of the Cala Ronda and having a chat with Ashley Higgins from Andalusian Cycling Experience. We'll be talking about lockdown life in Spain and the fantastic journey he and his family have been on since arriving in Spain 16 years ago. But before we have a chat with Ashley, how are you all doing? I hope you're keeping well, enjoying the sunshine if you have it. Uh, the beautiful county of Sussex has been bathed in sunshine for a few weeks now, which makes a, a stark change from the miserable winter we had when it wouldn't stop raining. But uh, let's uh, introduce this week's special guest. Uh, Ashley and his wife Claire moved to Spain in 2004 and set up their cycling holiday business to get away from the rat race. They've not looked back. Their mountain retreat and cycling experience is the envy of the region. They have an incredible business. And if you've never thought about taking a trip to the Grazalama Natural Park and Monte Corto, I hope this chat with Ashley inspires you to give them a ring and set something up. You don't need to be an expert rider of road bikes. They can organize point-to-point itineraries based on your skill level and requirements. They do offer group trips and mountain bike trips and a whole lot more. Uh, the website details will be listed in the show notes. Having started with just four bikes and a couple of roof racks, they've grown their business to include 70 bikes, a couple of nine-seater minivans, and they employ a couple of exceptional guides as well. Ashley has ridden the three-way on two challenge. Uh, Everest did his local category one climb, uh, which is the equivalent of, well, it goes up 11 times in one day with almost 9,000 metres of elevation, and he rides around 15,000 kilometres every year. So as you can imagine, he's mad about bikes, even on his rest days, he has to get out on the bike. In his own words, he can't get enough. So let's welcome Ashley to the Travelling Optimist podcast. Hey, Ashley, how are you, mate? Yeah, all good, Steve. Good to uh, speak to you at long last. Yeah, I, yes, it's, it's, uh, it's taken a while, mostly my fault. So I do apologise on that. Uh, so it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Excellent. So how are you guys coping with lockdown in Spain? I from from being in the UK, um, we've caught glimpses of what it was what it was like in Spain, and it seemed to be a lot stricter than what it was here in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It was really, really strict um, to the point that we couldn't even get in our car and go to the supermarkets in Ronda, which is only twenty kilometres away. Um, if we did, we would run the risk of getting a fifteen hundred to three thousand euro fine from the police for being out without a valid excuse. Uh, my wife did get warned on the roundabout when she was leaving one day and uh, made the sensible choice to come home and do the shopping in the village. Um, but that was probably, for me, that was probably one of the lowest points of the lockdown because that really hammered home that we were stuck in our house for six weeks, um, mm. which with two young children aged nine and 12 was pretty tough. Yeah, also no cycling. 
So, and as it's beautifully sunny in Spain, I had no rollers, no turbos. So I quickly got on the internet and buying uh, rollers and turbos is almost as hard as getting toilet roll in the UK. <laughs> oh dear. I did see a video of you uh, practicing on your rollers though. Did you get the hang of it in the end? Um, yes, I posted a few videos. So um, we started off in the door frame between the office and the lounge uh, and ended up on the uh, balcony. So I had a nice little view of the mountains opposite. <laughs> Good man. So, I mean, obviously travel in general around the world has been affected. You and I are both at the sharp end of that, really. Yeah. How, how, has it, uh, how has it been for you guys? Uh, well, we had clients turn up on the 15th of March, which was when the Spanish government imposed the lockdown. So we quickly had to turn them around and, and send them home. Virtually, business has come to a grinding halt over the last two months. We've had everybody's postponed. Not too many people have cancelled, so that's been good. We're hoping to squeeze them all in within the next year. But yeah, we've gone from this will have been in our busiest period, basically. Middle of May, middle of June is peak season for cycling here in Andalusia. The weather's perfect. The flowers are out. It's beautiful spring flowers everywhere. But uh, nothing's going. Obviously, people can't fly in. We and we have to abide by the rules that the government have set up. Yeah. Um, and I think the phased release that they've got going on um, is the best way uh, to go about getting people back to ordinary everyday life. So we, we look forward to each next phase. Malaga province was a week behind the rest of Andalusia for some particular reason, but uh, it's all happening based yeah. on each province's ability to uh, abide by what's going on. The good news is we can now go into Ronda and go out on our bikes. The ending of the phases comes in, if it's all on time, at the end of next month. So fingers crossed. They have said that if by then every province has passed all the phases, they will then open up for tourism and international travel. Gut feeling is we'll be good to go for September. Um, July and August for us is is too hot to ride, so we normally close then anyway. Right, and um, so it will just open up as we normally close down. But yeah, so hopefully that gives us a couple of months of leeway to be ready to go with our clients in mid September again. Uh, yeah, fingers crossed for that. Totally. I mean, so you uh, with the lockdown was like you said was was very strict, but you were able to go out on your bikes. Was it last week or the week before? Uh, about two weeks ago, I think it yeah. was. Yes, but yeah. only within your municipality. Obviously, Monte Corto is very small, which um, basically meant we could ride up to the top of the hill opposite us uh, and back down again. And that was it. So it was circuits of. So it was a 17k <laughs> loop. Burgers can't be choosers. And 17k loop was done. I think I maxed out last Saturday with eight loops of it and then uh, came excellent. home. Was it? Well, something's better than nothing, right? Absolutely, yes. So, uh, and getting the kids out on on their bikes for their hours exercise was uh, was good as well. So, yeah. we'll, we'll take what we get at this point. So, rewinding a little bit, let's go back to the sort of early two thousands. Why? What was the catalyst for you guys to move to Spain? Well. Um, I think it was 2002, we were at my parents' house at Christmas. Claire and I both had jobs where when the mobile phone went off, no matter what time of day it was, we had to uh, either dial in or go into work or 
usual sort of stuff. And um, was at my parents' house at Christmas and my uncle and my dad were talking about moving to Spain or Portugal in their retirement. Um, my mum and my aunt were coming up with all the reasons why they shouldn't. And Claire and I were listening to the conversation and her grandmother had done some travelling in Andalusia and the Balearic Islands in the uh, early 80s. And we had a travel guide that she wrote on Menorca that Claire had got a copy of at home. So driving home from that dinner, and we were both a bit quiet in the car and we both perked up and went, so why don't we go to Spain? It was like, okay. So back then, I think Claire was in her late 20s and I was in my early 30s. And, it was, and a few minutes later, I piped up and said, well, I like riding my bikes. So let's go and do a sighting hop business and that was a decision made really. Um, We then spent the next nine months flying into Malaga at every given opportunity and hiring a car and driving around to see where we thought would be a good place to to settle and we stumbled across Ronda on one of our trips, found out it had three or four bike clubs and then we came back here for six months looking at houses and April 2004 I think it was, we went home house we currently lived in and we sold everything up in the UK and got married and moved over all in six months. So it was a pretty hectic year. So we both had a house to sell. Um, we got married that year. We moved to Spain and we set up the business and launched it by August 2005. So it was pretty manic. We've not really looked back and touchwood. I think uh, we will continue once this pandemic is over to uh, to grow. Yeah, absolutely. So we, you you moved to Spain. Did can you did you speak Spanish? Uh, no. Well, we. Because we had decided that we were going to come to Spain, we'd gone to night school for two years and we basically had what I'd call tourist Spanish. We could ask for a lot of things, but very rarely understood the answer. Um, So we then went to language school in Ronda for three months and had an intensive course. Uh, we're, we're still learning. I mean, I get by. To, I can run my business in Spanish, but my Spanish is a bit like Del Boy's French, I think, according to my daughter. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just embarrassing for her, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, setting up a business in your home country um, is challenging enough, isn't it? So what, setting up a business in a foreign country seems to be full of you know, pitfalls and, and challenges um, and, and obviously successes as well. So what, what sort of things did you sort of encounter when you, when you first started? Well, obviously, you have to sort of register yourself as a as, to get a business and become what they call autonomo in Spanish, which is self-employed, um, and then find yourself an accountant. Which, as you say, obviously, understanding how to do your tax return in English is hard enough, let alone how to do it in Spanish. So you trust these people to do the, the right job for you, and uh, we learned the hard way that our first accountant wasn't that trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we had to quickly switch um but you know we hooked in with the uh with the ronda bike club when i first got here and there was a lot of small business owners and uh bike store owners and printers and stuff so through the cycling i was able to make quite a few good connections with local business people and obviously being an expat you sort of get involved with um, other expats that are over here that are running businesses so we found some good restaurants and hotels that uh English and Spanish uh, speaking that we could use for our tours uh, and just I think we had a leap of faith when we moved over here maybe a little bit of uh, ignorance and optimism combined to <laughs> so we, we were young enough to be back to the UK and start again if it had all gone wrong but luckily for us um, we sort of got the business semi-established and then cycling and triathlon from 2007-2008 across the world 
has has boomed, we've been able to ride that wave and mm. grow the business. Uh, we've had clients from every continent, so it's been it's been an amazing journey. And we've met some fantastic people along the way. Um, yeah. Just talking to them about their bikes and where they ride and what they do and everything is is, is very inspirational. Yeah, I bet. I mean, actually, yeah, you you were right. You were, you were kind of ahead of the game slightly, weren't you? Because, and as you said, you you kind of ridden that wave of cycling popularity and triathlon popularity. I mean, as you know, in the UK, I think for, for me personally, it was sort of just before the Olympics that I suddenly saw that there was a quite a lot more bikes on the road and ever since then you know it's it's just absolutely taken off I want to imagine that's probably similar in Spain then yeah absolutely I mean when we first moved over here there was basically just the Spanish riders going out and doing their thing and there was maybe four or five holiday companies across Andalusia the majority of those were based nearer to Granada so we were pretty much on our own in this area and even now on a Monday riding on the roads the, the traffic is minimal it's like a private playground to be honest we we have to remind ourselves occasionally that there are cars coming the other way and to stay on our half of the road but we can ride 15 20 kilometers and see maybe one or two cars in that time and it's just phenomenal I mean yeah. the cycle I know I'm a bit biased, but the cycling over here is uh, is amazing. It's, it's quite tough. There's a lot of climbing to do, but yeah, the roads are, are fantastic. The Spanish drivers are really, really considerate to cyclists because they're used to seeing them out on the roads more so than in, in the UK and, and, and Northern Europe. Uh, I've been on the side of the road cramped up sort of with my feet up on the crash barriers and people have stopped in their cars and asked me if I wanted some food, some water, to ring somebody, even to bring me home in, with my bike in the car. Uh, and I don't think you'd quite get that in the UK. It's, it's <laughs> <in> the <laughs> no, um, I, I think you're probably right there, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I actually just having a, a look at Andalusia and the region that you're living in and things, I mean, it looks absolutely stunning. I mean, really beautiful. You, you know, you've chosen a, a really fantastic place to, to live and, and work. You know, what's it really like in terms of the region and things? So if you're going out on a bike, what, what sort of things would you expect to experience? Well, Andalusia is um, famous for its white villages. So when we're out on the bikes, we go to many white villages. We stop in one of them for two of them for lunch and refreshments, depending on, on the group during the day and how far we're riding. Um, you've got all these white hills dotted around, olive groves everywhere, the sun's shining, there's, there's mountains. We've got a mountain range just um, near Grazalema and Zahara which goes up to about 1,300 metres above sea level. So there's a couple of good, solid 12 and 15k climbs for those that want to push themselves to do. And then we got a nice little ride along the lake to Zahara where friends of ours own a restaurant with a terrace overlooking the lake and we can go there for lunch and, and ride back again. So we've got pretty much something for everybody. And obviously with the two vans, if people have enough of their ride, then we can get them picked up as well. We've had families with children aged six seven eight years old to you know some of the top non-professional um Ironman triathletes coming in training with us and everything in between so mm. it's uh it's a good good place to come and ride but it is hilly so with every 50 me 50 kilometers of riding we have at least a thousand in my fifteen thousand kilometers a year i'm doing a million feet of elevation every year so that's three hundred and six thousand meters <laughs> 
Oh my God, that's insane. So that's that's the big that's the biggest difference. It's a baptism of fire for some people. Yeah, I bet. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I thought Sussex was actually quite hilly, but um, I, I, it takes it onto another level, I think, really, doesn't it? Yeah. What about e-bikes? Have you, have you sort of got, what's your thoughts on that? Um, fantastic. I mean, they allow people to ride together. Probably three to four years ago, nobody was asking for an e-bike. Um, now... Pretty much every every week, we've got people are inquiring for e-bikes. We have a small stock of them. Mm. We need to get a few more, but it definitely helps. The, the crazy thing is, is we need to stop them because if people ask for them, you know, they want to use them. It's a very controversial subject in cycling e-bikes. You know, uh, yeah, it some is. Some people love them, and some people don't. So I yeah, don't get it personally. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be controversial. I think, obviously, if you're a purist, then I, I can kind of understand your standpoint. But I think from where I'm standing. What it means is that there's a lot more people out there that are willing to get out there on a bike. Um, and particularly the data that I've seen over the last few months is that people with e-bikes are riding further and more regularly. So it's kind of, yeah. it, it's that sort of mental barrier to thinking, oh, I don't really want to go on a bike. It's too much effort to saying, well, actually, I'm going to go on my bike because it's actually really fun. Um, and yeah. you know, the hills aren't, aren't a barrier anymore. And I think it opens it up to so many more people. You know, mm. the, the young, the old people that have been injured and are coming back, you know, people that have got one partner that's a really fast cyclist and they're trying to get their other partner into it. So an e-bike yeah. would help with that. We've got a couple over and used to ride a tandem, British couple. He's 60 something. She's in her 80s to ride a tandem. Obviously, she started to lose the strength in her legs. So he's bought himself a road bike and she's on an e-bike and they still go out and ride every week. Uh, and she's 80 plus years old now. And she's still doing the category one climb on the local area <laughs> on her e-bike and they love it. I'll be on mine when I'm that age. That is for sure. We're definitely seeing more on the roads here for sure. And I was speaking to a, a resident in the, in the town where I live in East Grinstead and um, she was saying that it's absolutely revolutionised her life. She was in her eighties, but she plays tennis, and you know she she rides to to the shops on a on her e bike everywhere. And and at where we live in East Grins, it's quite a hilly town, right. but no, it's really it's no it's no bother for it. I think it's just fantastic. So uh, long may that continue. I think when well, you were talking we went, about, sorry. no, I was going to say you were talking about infrastructure and the, the sort of the uh, cycling um, mentality in in Spain, and and the um, and the reaction that you get as a cyclist in Spain is totally different to what you get over here. And I think hopefully uh, the more people that start to cycle, then the better it will be. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've over the last couple of years in the, in the summer months when it's too hot to um, ride here, we've started to take uh, clients to the Dolomites and, and the Alps. Uh, mm. Last year, Claire and the kids came to, to Bormio with us. And um, we hired e-bikes out for, for them both. And they were able to come and do sort of uh, 10K climbs with us that, for sure, they would not have been able to do um, had they been riding their own bikes. I mean, we had their own bikes with us, and they did do one of the climbs on there. And yeah. obviously, it gives you, it gave Oliver and Sophie a good insight into uh, what actually Daddy does on a daily basis on his, on his bike. So, uh, yeah, it's good fun. I mean, we wouldn't have been able to do that without without e-bikes for sure. So you 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 you've sort of expanded a little bit into uh, taking a few trips into uh, France and, and and Italy, but you also do mountain biking and 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 things, don't you? What sort of types of itineraries or riding styles that you've you've got that people can go on when they're 
same well, with you. We're very lucky over here because most villages are joined together by vehicle whip dirt tracks. And so we're able to do cross-country style riding all day long with, with very minimal riding on the roads uh, and then we have anything that goes up to like the mohab style slick rock riding that we go down to Ardalis and el choro which is a bit more famous for the the rock climbing um, but there's some fantastic trails down there that are you know, a bit twitchy when it's wet um, but uh, and anything in between so there's a lot of walking routes that are old again single tracks sort of donkey tracks that we use between villages but the, the, the problem we have over here which is hard to get over to UK cyclists is the soil is clay based and uh, after a couple of days rain you go out for um, 100 meters on your bike and, and nothing works it just sticks mm. to it but luckily as we get 300 days of sunshine over here that very rarely happens but trying to tell mountain bikers it's too muddy to rain they just look at you like you've got two heads but generally it's very dry and very dusty fast uh, and we do most of the climbing is on the vehicle whip trails and then we bomb yes. down through through woods and stuff on on the single track we don't offer uplifts because of the where we ride is a little bit remote so we can't get our vans there to do the uplifts so it's 100 percent ride so it is a little bit of an effort on the uphills but uh, it leaves you smiling like a kid at christmas <laughs> who's got all their toys when when you get down to the bottom of the single track. It's, fantastic. <laughs> it's all I, like I the downhill it. it well yes it is um and obviously getting down there safely so I'm, I'm also a mountain bike instructor so I can um, help people develop their skills and techniques during during the weeks and yeah. practice various uh, aspects of mountain biking so yeah absolutely so looking back reflecting on the 16 years that you've you've been in Spain so far what sort of lessons have have you and Claire learned over that time and and what sort of things would you do anything differently um, the lessons that we've learned, well, always expect the unexpected. When you think you've seen everything, someone will uh, will surprise you. The things we do differently, when I first brought a load of road bikes, I bought them with the gears that I rode, uh, and they weren't necessarily the gears that were sufficient for older clients to, to ride, or all clients to ride. So you've got to make sure that you get the gearing of your bikes correct for the terrain that you're going to yeah. going to ride in. Uh, and I soon found out that, yeah, that was that was very important that, um, for us. Uh, and also just, you know, make sure that you get your niche in the market. Um, we're not hardcore mountain bikers. There's other companies that do that. And I really, you know, I recognize that. And if people ask me for that, I push them on to, to other places because if if you're doing something that you don't 100% enjoy like downhill mountain biking for me is is where I draw the line I think you have to play to your strengths you you do if you show a passion and enjoyment for whatever cycling or whatever you're doing in life then that spreads to the group or the people that you're doing it with uh, and is if you show them the good time for me I think if you can't go wrong if you've got nice accommodation good quality bikes some very friendly guides and some great coffee stops and i think 90 99 of your clients will go home happy yeah there's oh, always yeah. the odd one or two that, that that won't but you know you probably would never be able to please those so yeah it's, it's quite a basic formula we started off with just mountain biking and road cycling and then we opened it up to leisure cycling to families 
to doing the point-to-point tours that we we offer. Mm. Um, so I think you've always got to be moving on and thinking of the next thing to do because now when we started the business, there was perhaps four or five other companies that are in competition with us and now there's uh, a lot, lot more. So you have to sort of try and think of something new to keep yourself interested but also to keep your clients coming back to you. So um, if they come back and you do the same five rides every time, then you're going you're gonna to lose them. So yeah. if you can offer them something new, take them somewhere new, this is one of the reasons why we started doing the trips because a lot of our clients want to go to these places, but they want to ride with a, a group of people and they, they trust our business name to come up with the, come up with the goods um, yeah. and it's always nice to go away with you know the clients that come with us we know them they've been predominantly they've been here more than five times with us so we know we're, we're all, the people and we're going to have good fun and, and what they're capable of so it makes yeah. makes planning those trips easier when you understand the client's abilities as well yeah absolutely and it's interesting actually you're talking about niche you know finding a niche and 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 um playing to your strengths and i think a lot of a lot of businesses are worried about going into a niche market because they think it's too narrow but actually it's the it has the, it's the opposite isn't it because it means that your strength is condensed so that you're actually maxing out on everything that you do in that particular arena rather than sort of spreading yourself quite thinly over quite a lot of other things would you say that that would be a, a fair description yeah i also think that if you if you offer too many choices then that often leads to no decision no choice being made by your client so you know we we do the road cycling we started gravel biking this year and we do the mountain biking so it's just um offering those things and trying to keep it fresh you know niche is not always a bad thing you know if you if you know who you who your market base is uh, and the, their age group and, and who you're aiming at and you you can give everybody you know being too big doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a good holiday because you know i get to speak to pretty much everybody that come comes on holiday with the andalusian cycling experience i find it a little bit strange sometimes when they've been out with one of my guides all week and i've only seen them in the bike room um because i still feel that i should be involved in their trip although they've had a fantastic time because our guides are, are, are good yeah. um but when it's small and it's family orientated a lot of our clients come back just to see how the kids are growing up and, and and all that sort of stuff and you know Claire and I constantly have this decision as to how big we want to be but mm. I don't want to you know being too big has a lot more stresses on on ourselves because we then you know, as you grow you know we, we, we started with four bikes and two bike racks and now we've got these 70 bikes but if we were to grow to the next level then that would mean another third another van uh, it's, a, it's, it's all the costs involved and, and Monte Corto is a nice small village that we can sort of do 15 to 20 people a week comfortably yeah uh, and any bigger than that and we would outgrow the village really but yeah so there'd be a whole new set of headaches and things to try and sort out so we we've learned our lesson on that as well we did um at one point we'd had claire and i decided to take on more guides and i would be in the office selling selling the the holidays and keeping everybody busy but if i wanted an office job i could have stayed in the uk yeah for me being being out on the bike and riding every day and, and 
just seeing everybody enjoying themselves is that's the cream on the cake so to speak oh yeah absolutely it sounds idyllic i mean and, and it, it's fantastic that you guys kind of made that jump i think sometimes when you make that jump it's 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 very daunting so you know if you're looking back in 2004 and you're thinking oh my god are we doing the right thing but actually it's that that leap of faith uh, i've mentioned it a couple of times on some previous podcasts that leap of faith just things do tend to kind of slot into place and dovetail don't they yeah yeah and also for i mean for us we we had the conversation as to because we were fortunate enough we both had a house in the uk so it was do we keep one of those as somewhere we could run back to if everything went wrong uh, and we decided not to because it would make it too easy to to give up on our dream yeah. um so we sold everything up and just moved everything over here Mm. And it certainly gave us a, a focus and a, and a drive to to make it work because there was no easy way UK. No. Uh, and luckily, during our sixteen years, um, you know, we've had our good moments and we've had our da- you know our low moments. But luckily, neither Claire or I have been on a downer at the same time. Um, so we've been able to lift each other up. When, when the other ones hit the wall a little bit for whatever reason. When we first moved here, we bumped into lots of couples that had come to Spain to chase their dream on whatever they thought was going to work. But the most important thing for me to make something like this work is that you both want it. So if, it's, if it was just mm. my dream and it got suddenly hard, then Claire might be more or your partner might be more leaning towards, but well, it didn't work, let's go back. Yeah. Um, but because we both really wanted this, that was never an option. It was like, we just got to dig in a bit deeper and find a way to make it work. Um, and a lot of people that we met when we first moved over here, they've um, unfortunately, they've not been able to make their dream work for whatever reason. And they've either split up or they've moved back to the UK to, to stay together. So mm. uh, I think out of the, the original 10 or 12 couples that we met at a barbecue once, there's three of us left here. It's, yeah. it's a high attrition rate, that is for sure. But you do meet some fantastic people offering some amazing things to do. Yes. So no, it sounds amazing. It's good to try and it's good to try and support each other as well. I mean, we've hooked in with a guy who does bird of prey experiences, and he takes you up on a, a tandem paraglider, and you fly with vultures. Wow. We've hooked up with people that offer cooking courses at their restaurants and and various other things. So we try and find you know you'll be amazed at what people ask you as for extra activities that they want to do on their site in holiday because yeah. well, maybe one person doesn't want to ride every day but they want other things to do so we try and have lots of fingers in many different pies so we can pull it all together and offer unique experiences for for everybody oh it sounds amazing it sounds amazing it sounds something that i need to get down to andalusia when things are opened up and, and get and, oh, please, and get down please there do i'd love to show you around you yeah absolutely <laughs> i'll put it it's on the list it's on the list mate on the bucket list (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) well I I just I really have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation Ashley thank you so much for coming on on the the, the show and I I wish you and your family all the all the very best over the coming months and uh, and years and and fingers crossed we come out of this lockdown fairly soon and um, uh, everybody can get out down to Andalusia and and start riding their bikes with you we're ready and waiting whenever you whenever people can can uh, can escape from wherever they are in in the world we're we're here uh, and as always we look forward to meeting uh, returning clients and new people and to show them this beautiful area of Andalusia and and get them out on their bikes and and just enjoy enjoy the the culture the cuisine uh, and the whole sort of uh, experience 
experience of the Andalusian rather laid back way of life. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it sounds amazing. I, I really appreciate you t- taking the time. I can really feel that passion coming through. I wish you all the very best, Ashley. Thanks so much. Take care now. Cheers. Thank you, Steve. I really love speaking with Ashley and learning more about how he and Claire made things work and immerse themselves in their new life in Spain. If you'd like to book a trip with the Andalusian Cycling Experience, don't forget to give them the code, the Travelling Optimist 10%, and you'll get 10% off your week's stay. Please stay safe, everybody, and thanks for listening.